I am normally behind a guitar, uh, so uh, that's the context you'll normally see me in, but uh, the, the guys uh, just did a fabulous uh, job leading us in worship this morning. Uh, if any of you are musical or technical in the slightest, I want to speak to you. There is room for you in this team. This morning, I'm going to be uh, telling you a little bit of my own story of how my life with God has been pretty radically transformed over the last uh, few years. And those of you who already know me are thinking, oh, not again. Uh, Just you wait, because I've now got a biblical mandate uh, (laughs) for boring you repeatedly with this story. In recent years, I've uh, stumbled... Um, across a number of great resources that have, not to make any exaggeration whatsoever, completely revolutionized my day-to-day relationship with God. Now, whenever anybody says anything like that to me, I'm instantly suspicious. You know, anything new, whether whether somebody swears by some new diet plan that involves eating like cavemen or or refusing to eat anything that casts a shadow. um, (laughs) Or... Or perhaps uh, if they've found a, a new gadget that they can't possibly live without, even though they seem to have done quite fine up to that point. Um, so if you're suspicious about me sharing my recent discoveries with you, let me try and put you at some ease. These things I've discovered are not new. They are, in fact, quite ancient. Um, I've simply rediscovered in a way that we all need to discover for ourselves um, very... Uh, ancient practices of Christians and Jews over centuries and millennia. And I found them to be not only profoundly relevant for today, but perhaps arguably even more relevant now than at any time in history. What I'm talking about uh, is not a secret, and it's what we can broadly call spiritual disciplines. So I've called my talk today Celebration of Discipline in... um, uh, in respect for and paying homage to the book by Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline, which I'll be referring to several times, I think, uh, through this talk. Now, what these spiritual disciplines actually are, what they consist of, I'll get to later. But let me just talk about the term spiritual disciplines for a moment. I love it and I hate it. I love it because of what they actually do for us, and I'm going to be speaking about that. But I hate it because when we call something spiritual... We instantly think of activities that don't involve our other faculties, our minds, our bodies, our emotions. And perhaps we even think that spiritual matters don't even directly involve our relationships or our jobs or our everyday going about stuff. So I want to think about spiritual disciplines. When I say the word spiritual disciplines, I just want you to think about doing life with God. So many people think of Christianity and present Christianity as a kind of moral law that we've subscribed to. And even though we know that isn't true, many of us live as though it were true. Our lives are defined by a continuous cycle of trying and inevitably failing to be better people. And although we understand with our minds and with our hearts that Christianity is about a relationship with the living Savior. We haven't actually learned how to live as though that were true. And that's where spiritual disciplines come in. 
to the picture. We do them because the change that God so desperately wants to bring about in our lives can only be done if we place ourselves before him to do the work. We want to be different. We want to be better. But we behave as though that's a change we need to bring about in ourselves, sometimes before we even approach God. We've got it completely upside down and back to front if that's the case. We've got a saying in this church, it's come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Often we think of God as somebody before whom we can't come as we are. We need to sort ourselves out and then get into his presence. But that's not how spiritual disciplines work. Spiritual disciplines are about getting into God's presence so he can do the work. Our work is not to change ourselves. Our work is to put ourselves before God who changes us. So uh, I've got a few books here that I'm going to refer to repeatedly. But this book uh, by Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline, Richard Foster says this, By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They only get us to the place where something can be done. A few weeks ago, uh, Jim was up here talking about the transfiguration. and He was talking about that as an event where Jesus doesn't want Peter to build this you know, shelter for him and Moses and Elijah. He just wants Moses to receive, uh, uh, Peter to receive, to experience the glory. And there's a connection there with Mary and Martha. You know, Martha had just not figured out that the job right at that moment was to get down on the floor at Jesus' feet and just enjoy his presence. I got that the right way around, haven't I? It was Mary. Yeah. What Peter tried to do that on that mountaintop wasn't wrong. What Martha was doing wasn't wrong. It was just that at that point, it was important to just enjoy the presence and the glory of Jesus. But even Peter did something. He walked up that mountain with Jesus. If he'd stayed at the bottom of that mountain, he wouldn't have experienced the presence of Jesus. Even Mary got down on the floor to sit at the feet of Jesus. There is a movement that we are responsible for, that God won't do for us, to get ourselves to that place where we can receive what God wants to give us. That's what spiritual disciplines are about. I saw a tweet by... uh, Renovare, which is the publishing house that puts out Richard Foster's work, uh, which I've hopefully got coming up on the screen. Yes. This I thought was brilliant. This came out just a couple of days ago. Grace is the invitation. Habit is the integration. Love is the manifestation. And life is the destination. What I'm talking about when I talk about spiritual disciplines is that second line, habit. It's about building good habits, but we mustn't lose sight as we do that of all those other things. We mustn't lose sight that first comes grace. We get to do this. And as a result of integrating that grace in our lives, we experience and display love to one another, and we experience life in all its fullness. So before we continue, I'm going to look at a passage in Scripture Uh, from where I get my justification for rambling on about my story. Um, This is uh, 2 Peter. We're going to look at 2 Peter, starting right at the beginning of chapter 1. And by the way, this is one of those uh, occasions where you really ought to ignore the headings that are in your Bible. 
uh, those are added in by biblical editors. Just if it says something about confirming your calling, you know, it's part of, but not all of, the passage. So just maybe ignore it. But here we go. Simeon or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith as precious as ours through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be yours in abundance in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness and goodness with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Therefore, I intend to keep on reminding you of these things, though you know them already and are established in the truth that has come to you. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to refresh your memory, since I know that my death will come soon, as indeed our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. I really love Peter, and I feel a kindred spirit in him. That last paragraph feels like me right now. I'm up here reminding you of these things, even though you know them already, and I'm going to carry on reminding you for as long as I have breath and a microphone. And I'm even going to find ways of making sure I continue to remind you after I'm dead. This stuff is that important. It's important to Peter, it's important to me. So when you hear me going on about spiritual disciplines and emotionally healthy spirituality and keeping the Sabbath and making sure you get to church on time, don't say, I didn't warn you. I'm going to keep going on about this stuff. Why? Because the spirit of this age has convinced us that we don't need it. Even though it's all in God's word. I was convinced I didn't need it, and I believe that was at the root of how I became a deeply depressed man. Even though I confessed Jesus as my Lord, I desired his glory. I completely and utterly rejected false religion, as I believe we must all do, but after doing that, I completely neglected to pick up true religion. When we do that, I think we're like the house that Jesus describes. You know the one where uh, there's, a, there's a demon causing havoc and the demon gets expelled. And 
it returns later, finds the house nice and empty and clean, and uh, brings back a bunch of his mates to have a wild party. And the situation afterwards is worse than the situation that we started with. I think that was me. I was not prepared for the onslaught of depression and anxiety that made me feel suicidal, even though I was a Christian, in a way that was a worse experience than anything I had experienced prior to becoming a Christian. It didn't make any sense. So when we talk about the Christian faith as being not about religion, but about spirituality, we've got to be really clear what we mean by that if we're not going to fall into the trap that I did. And if I'm talking to you today and you feel like you're in that trap where you're utterly confused because you're not experiencing the life that you believe God has promised you, I believe there is a way to get that capsized boat right way up again. And it's through what we call spiritual disciplines. I came across a beautiful verse in Acts quite by accident the other day. It involves Peter and uh, he's put in prison, but an angel rescues him and tells him this. He says, go, stand in the temple, and tell the people the whole message about this life. He doesn't say, go and convince people of a certain doctrinal position, perhaps even get them to sign that doctrinal position, if you can. He says, tell them the whole message about this life, warts and all. The whole message, I believe, is spiritual and religious. It involves us being born again, and then it involves us growing up. That means there's stuff for us to do. In this faith, we have responsibilities. This is not a salvation of works that I'm preaching, just in case you've got your stones, you know, sort of in your pocket. Remember, what does Peter say? He says, God has given us everything that we need. He's given us everything. But he goes on to say, because of this, and uh, Tom Wright in his translation says, you should strain every nerve to supplement your faith. What? Doesn't that mean adding something? To our faith. Yes, it means adding something to our faith, but it means adding from what God has already given us. So let's not call this a salvation of works. Let's remember grace is the invitation, habit is the integration. By adding these things to our faith, we keep ourselves from being unfruitful. So, what are these spiritual disciplines? I'm not going to be able to explore them in any great detail, but I can blast out a list. It's not an exhaustive list, because a spiritual discipline is essentially something, um, it can be anything that you do intentionally and regularly in obedience to God as an invitation to him to come and do a deep work in you. Some of the classics of these, and some but not all of these, are in this book, Celebration of Discipline, Prayer. Surrendering to God uh, our power and control over the events of our lives. Fasting. Acknowledging that man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. Simplicity or frugality. Recognizing that actually we don't need that 
phone upgrade or that faster internet or you know, whatever it is. We get on perfectly well without it. Study of the Bible and meditation. Soaking up God's word as perhaps we do less than we soak up Game of Thrones. Just a suggestion. Solitude and silence. We never really meet ourselves if we're constantly talking. It's only in the silence that we get to confront ourselves. Confession. And I don't just mean confession to God, I mean confession to one another. Fellowship. Not neglecting to meet together in home groups and at church. Worship. Which is the great recalibration of our senses where we realize that actually nothing we own is through our own effort but is a gift from God and so we give everything back to God and allow him to redeploy us in his service chastity that's one we don't actually mention often is it even if you're in a legitimate sexual relationship chastity is a spiritual discipline it's like fasting it's basically just saying these appetites do not define who I am as a son or a daughter of the living God. Service and sacrifice. There are many, many opportunities in this church to give of your time, to give of your finances, to, uh, to basically say to God, here, I trust you with this. I trust you with my time. I trust you with my money. All of these disciplines are forms of just acknowledging that Jesus is Lord of all. I, I don't know who it was that said, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. He's got to be Lord of all. He must have command over our time, over our appetites, over our thoughts and our actions. We need to guard so that these spiritual disciplines don't become idols in and of themselves. But I've got to say, that's not really our major problem in Western evangelical Christianity. Our problem is that we don't take them very seriously at all. And we neglect them. So we do need to remember that spiritual disciplines are not the point. They're the means, not the end. If we're preaching the whole message of this life, we need to preach not only what we're saved from, but also what we're saved for. The late, great theologian uh, John Webster, who used to teach at this university before he sadly died a couple of years ago, he says this in his book on holiness. The saint is one who is set free by God from sin and for reality. And then he says, he uses this phrase, we are emancipated for obedience. So we're set free from slavery to sin so that we can then submit to our maker. That's the whole message of this life. Now to get it a bit more personal, there's three spiritual disciplines that have been absolutely life-changing for me. Uh, First is what's called the daily office. 
Uh, every day I take, every day twice a day, um, I take anything from three to ten minutes uh, just to quiet myself before God, just to kind of uh, get off the hamster wheel, you know, and just completely reset the day again with God. Just a moment of quiet. I read a very, very brief passage of scripture, another moment of quiet, and then I'm done. I do that twice a day. That gives me rocket boosters for the rest of the day, where otherwise I would just be in a slump in the middle of the day. Second thing is similar, but it's something I do before I go to sleep. It's an Ignatian uh, spiritual exercise called the examine. In the examine, I basically review my day with God. I ask him to point out what should I be celebrating what should I be confessing? I ask for his forgiveness for the things that I've done wrong. And I ask for his mercy going into the next day. It's, both of these disciplines are ways of keeping short accounts with God, not allowing either the sins or the victories to store up, but to lay it all at the cross. The third spiritual discipline is the keeping of Sabbath. And I've spoken about this before. Um, If you want a really profound scriptural study of why Sabbath is just as critical today as it was for Israel, this book, Sabbath as Resistance, Saying No to the Culture of Now by Walter Brueggemann is absolutely incredible. By the way, reading materials like this also counts as a spiritual discipline. These are all things that sow to the spirit. But rather than going into more detail about the actual disciplines themselves, I just want to get you excited about the possibilities that they present. And before I carry on, I just want to make another thing really clear. The fact that I screwed up so much of the early part of my discipleship is not, and I repeat, not the fault of those who had shared the faith with me. They didn't neglect to mention this stuff. I was always encouraged as a young Christian to, regu- uh, to, to regularly pray, to give financially to God's work, all of those sorts of things. And I was up for it. I really was. And one of the very first books I ever read was, was Celebration of Discipline as a Christian. I read this book however many years ago it was that I became a Christian, before many of you were born, I bet. Phew. Anyway, I read this book, and I dived with reckless abandon into the spiritual disciplines. I sensed really deep in my spirit that they were a good thing. So there I was. I was reading Richard Foster, and in this book, he describes in painstaking detail how to take a 40-day fast. And... I was a new convert to Christianity. I was so up for it. And I ignored all the warnings about taking it step by step, building up to it, and I went for it. Full stay fast. Yeah, come on. Of course, I fell at a pretty early hurdle. I thought, you know, it can't hurt to just have, I don't know, a glass of milk rather than a glass of water. 
and then what would go well so nicely with a glass of milk? Something, you know, solid. <laughs> Oops. Anyway, I had a similar experience with prayer, with meditation, with silence. I just, I bit off way more than I could chew. And in my failure and my disappointment, I just despaired of ever becoming one of those real Christians. You know, the real Christians who, who get up early so that they can pray. The real Christians who, um, who fast regularly. I even convinced myself somewhere along the way that actually what I was doing was a more genuine faith. That I had rejected the false religion and I'd gone for a more authentic expression of spirituality where I did those things, but only when the sort of love for God sort of swelled up and sort of caused me to do them spontaneously. It's so easy to make that sound like good doctrine, like good teaching. But it can so easily slip and... As soon as life gets busier and the pressures mount up, those are the first things to be sacrificed. So you find yourself praying less. You find yourself fasting less. You find yourself forgetting to set up that direct debit and giving to God out of your finances. All of these things slip. And that's why uh, recently I've rediscovered Celebration of Discipline, but I've rediscovered it after another amazing resource, which I'm sure you know what I'm going to say. If you've known me for more than five minutes, you'll hear me talk about emotionally healthy spirituality, which is the worst title for a book in human history. But, um, but it actually does what it says on the tin. It allows you to examine yourself and know yourself so that you know, you know you're not going to manage a 40-day fast you know that you might manage a 12-hour fast. So you give that a try. And then you know you might, after that, doing that a few times, you might manage a 24-hour fast. Maybe even a 48-hour fast, but you don't just dive in at the deep end and then experience all the failure and disappointment. This helps you to learn all about your habits and your motivations and your emotional responses and your fears and your desires. Only then, after doing this, reading this and doing the course that accompanies it, which, by the way, is starting in a couple of weeks, and I'd love to see you there. Um, only after doing this was I able to go beneath the surface. I believe that when I first read Celebration of Discipline, it was like, it was like um, grabbing a piece of fruit and just like chucking it on a bed of soil and expecting it to uh, grow a tree. But instead what happened, the fruit just sort of rotted away and a bird came along and pecked all the seeds away and nothing grew in its place. After doing this, I've taken those seeds and I've buried them deep because I have been able to look deep beneath the surface and stuff is growing. My life has changed. Here's another insight I had about spiritual disciplines, and this one I learned by doing a fitness program called Couch to 5K. Two years ago, I made a resolution to lose weight. 
Actually, I'd made many resolutions to lose weight before that. There is actually a difference between resolutions and decisions. I don't know if you know this, but um, the, the Alcoholics Anonymous big book uh, talks about how alcoholics make resolutions all the time to never drink again. But it's only when it actually comes to making a decision not to drink that that resolution ever becomes anything. It's decisions that become good habits, not resolutions. That's what I think it means, by the way, when Jesus says we ought not to swear oaths, but just let our yes be yes. Just let your good decisions mount up and lead to good habits. Anyway, let's say that two years ago I made a decision I was going to lose weight. That involved a sequence of decisions such as getting into the car, driving to the gym, going inside the gym, um, (laughs) actually stepping onto the treadmill, actually pressing go. These are all good decisions. Uh, Any one of those, uh, failure to make any one of those decisions would have meant that none of it would ever have happened. But anyway, the dist- uh, the f- that first session, the distance of five kilometers may as well have been 50. Um, I couldn't get to the end of the first session. This was a nine-week program, and I couldn't get to the end of the first session. But I was determined, so I went back another day, and I did it again. And I couldn't get to the end of it. And I went back again and again and again. And after three weeks, I got to the end of the first week of the program. And then exactly the same happened with the second week of the program. It took me another three weeks. So six weeks in, I'm still on week two. Woohoo! <laughs> but I'm still going. I'm still making the decision. I'm still turning up. I'm still turning up. And then I realize I'm running for five minutes and 10 minutes and 15 minutes and 20 minutes, where before I couldn't even run for 30 seconds. What I tried to do with spiritual disciplines was run that 5K straight off the couch. And it was doomed to failure like an athlete turning up to an Olympic swimming race after eating a double waffle with cheese and bacon and maybe a milkshake as well. It's never going to end well. I'm coming into land now. I just want to give you a quote from Richard Foster. He says, Through the practice of the spiritual disciplines, we do no more than receive a gift. Yet we know the changes are real. We know that they're real because we discover that the spirit of compassion we once found so hard to exhibit is now easy. In fact, to be full of bitterness would be the hard thing. Divine love has slipped into our inner spirit and taken over our habit patterns. In the unguarded moments, there is a spontaneous flow from the inner sanctuary of our lives of love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no longer the tiring need to hide our inner selves from others. We don't have to work hard at being good and kind. We are good and kind. I'm not there yet, and I don't think we ever fully arrive at that point. But I'm determined to be that kind of person, to bear that kind of fruit, and to use what God has already given to me and to press it into action for him. I wonder, how about you? And just before we pray, I just want to add a spontaneous thing that I haven't written down. Many of you are here today, and 
you get to make a choice at this point of your life what your week is going to look like. You just, everything is up for grabs. I would commend something called the rule of life to you. Get a piece of paper and a pen and write down the things that have to be part of your week, the things that you can't do without. I would hope that on that list would be church and home group. I would think that some of those things would be um, time spent uh, having fun and eating meals with friends. I would hope that some of those, uh, some of you would have exercise down on those things. Write down the non-negotiables of your week. And then let that inform the choices you make for how you then spend your time. And compare it. It's like, is this thing going to serve this plan? Make the plan serve you rather than just sort of allowing this new freedom that you have with all of your time to just be kind of uh, dragged in every single direction that the, that the wind blows you. The rule of life is a framework against which you will grow and bear fruit. It's not a way of um, introducing a new law into your life. It's a way for you to measure the things that you are doing against the direction that you want to grow. So I encourage you to do that. And if you want to learn how to be emotionally healthy, then I commend this course to you. Come and speak to me. Um, but I'm going to leave these books just up here. If any of you are interested in any of the books I've mentioned, then just take a look. Flick through the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality books, see what the course is all about. Let me know if you want to sign up. But for now, why don't you stand and we'll pray together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have loved us, that you have given us everything that we need, that we might be partakers of your divine nature. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness for where we have abused our design. Lord, for where we have taken what you have given us and we've not used it to glorify and worship you. Father, I pray that for each of us, we would leave this room with at least a resolution to make a decision, to form a habit that will get us into the space where you can change us. We can't do this without you, God. We don't want to do this without you.